Hello, kia ora, and welcome to In Pursuit of Purpose with me, your host, Tim Jones, the Grow Good Guy. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of In Pursuit of Purpose with me, Tim, the Grow Good Guy. So in this week's episode, I have a chat with Andy Swindler, and we are both members of the Global Purpose Leaders. Um, we're a bunch of pretty cool people trying to do some cool things. And yeah, we go pretty deep on this one. Um, we go talk a lot about the shadow. We talk about Andy's experience and his journey from leaving entrepreneurship and getting into a more purpose-driven world. We touch on a whole heap of stuff, toxic masculinity, resilience. Um, yeah, some really interesting stuff. So yeah, sit back, relax, and um, check it out. And um, I guess more importantly than that, please do let me know. Um, give me some feedback. Is this stuff of interest to you? Is there something else you'd like me to delve into within the realms of purpose? And is there anyone else that you think I should be talking to about this stuff? Give me some give me some comments. Awesome. Anyway, on to the show. Hey, and so with me this week, I have got Andy Swindler. Um, Andy and I have connected relatively recently, and that's been through an amazing organization of which we're both members called the Global Purpose Leaders. And um, yeah, so really excited to have Andy on the podcast with me this week. So Andy, um, welcome, or as we say here in New Zealand, kia ora. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Tim, thanks so much for having me. It, it really probably will never get old uh, to just effortlessly connect with somebody uh, on the other side of the world. <laughs> so, it's pretty neat. Um, and, you know, also talking about the weather never gets old, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let me, let me think what to share about me. So I am uh, an entrepreneur uh, for most of my career. I learned a lot about leadership that way. Um, I owned a, a small business. Uh, I'm based in Chicago, Illinois, in the USA. And along the lines, along the way there, I met conscious capitalism. Uh, and that was actually when I was struggling in business. And, you know, we had grown too quickly. Maybe we'll unpack more of that story later. But, you know, the short version is uh, got really tough in a lot of ways. Uh, for me, emotionally, uh, you know, financially, it was kind of all tied together. Um, you know, meeting people's obligations and things. And that really, I think, was a lot of what led me to, to, to these various movements, but I still remain pretty grounded with conscious capitalism um, as a way of orienting ourselves around purpose-driven business, you know, heart-centered leadership, uh, consciousness uh, within the context of business and really normalizing that. And over the last few years, I've gone extremely deep in that category. I ended up selling that business, uh, going all in on purpose coaching and consulting. Uh, and now I'm in the midst of launching a startup called Feel Real uh, that I can talk a lot more about. But that is really focused on the extraordinary power of vulnerability within, uh, within intimate spaces. And, you know, looking at, you know, you know, first of all, what are the conditions that we can create? Uh, that increase the likelihood of vulnerability and and sharing between people at a deeper level, and what are the what outcomes uh, does that lead to? And one one way I like to frame it is is the, the the grand arc here is shifting the dominant narrative from fear to love, uh, and I think that's very much related to purpose. I'm sure we'll get into that more. Um, and then 
one area we're specifically looking at really intensely is this idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, which, you know, in many cases is, is treated as this bolt-on or add-on, you know, kind of auxiliary effort. Uh, but, but we're starting to see it potentially as the front door to a much deeper look at well, what does an inclusive culture look like, which really actually, in my opinion, goes far beyond the isms, you know, racism and sexism and all that. Those are all things we must address and things we need to really have a, a sober outlook and hold space for all of that and how that affects all populations, uh, particularly marginalized populations. And then yet there is something else possible there once you know, the, and that I would just, you know, that word inclusion, uh, which we could equate with belonging, is extremely important. And I think that relates to purpose and that relates to love and that relates to how each of us show up as a fully embodied and expressed human being. Very cool. So quite a lot of stuff then you're up to. Just, you know, just take, uh, you, on, take you on the small challenges first. Yeah, just the little things and <laughs> my... My inbox just feels like this uh, rising tide and <laughs> <laughs> work on stuff. So, yep. so, I mean, where I'd really like to start is is going back to your your pre-purpose existence, um, and you know what? Why were you doing what you were doing in a, in a pre-purpose life? Like, what was driving you uh, as an entrepreneur in a, in a high growth business if it wasn't purpose? Great question. Um, and I, I guess my philosophy about purpose is even if we haven't uh, explored it formally or expressed it in words uh, that we know and we know to be true, that there, there are probably there's some kind of accidental purpose yep. <laughs> that we're, you know, following some thread. Um, and so I think, you know, one of my mentors early on in business told me, you know, and this wasn't even really related to purpose, but it actually kind of does relate. So it's basically, look, there's two kinds of businesses, you know, ones that are responding to a market need. You know, there's just some clear gap in the market and some people who can fulfill it. And great, they show up and start doing the work, uh, which I wouldn't say is necessarily purpose driven in the sense that I think most of us within the global purpose leaders think of a higher purpose, like a, a source driven purpose. Yep. Talk more about that. Um, and yet by some definition of purpose, you could say, well, if there was a market need, then there's a purpose in fulfilling that need. Um, and that is really how I launched. You know, it was, it was, I had been with a couple of other small, small companies and they, they kind of fell apart. And then those clients needed, needed help and I knew how to do it. <laughs> and uh, we'd actually developed some proprietary software along the way. And so that, that helped in a sense because there, there were only so many people who knew how to do that. Mm. So, and then the, and I would say that's actually what drove uh, that agency and was was more of a response, more of a, hey, you know, who needs this thing and, and can we do it? Um, and one of the things that led to was an ex was a real lack of focus. Uh, you know, it was a little kid in a candy store with, a, you know, probably especially as easy in the digital realm. You know, if you're a manufacturer mm -hmm. and, and you need a million dollars to build a new line, you're not just, it's just, you can't trivially uh, think about that or mm. jump into that. In the digital world, it's a little easier to jump around, which I think is a challenge. Um, it's also an extraordinary opportunity. Like digital has disrupted so many things and move, moves the world forward, I think has liberated a lot of things and creates all these opportunities. Um, you know, but for us, that, that lack of focus 
and discipline eventually really hurt us because we got spread really thin. You know, we were a software company developing our own platform. We were a web design shop first and foremost. Uh, we were, you know, storytellers, which kind of led us to marketing, you know, and, and in 2007, I got so excited about the, the, the uh, democratizing potential of social media. So it was like, oh, let's, let's figure out the social media thing, uh, which was tricky in terms of consulting, because I think people found it difficult to value for very, various reasons. So that, that alone created some challenges for us. And I think that's a lot of the value of a higher purpose is to make decisions using that purpose of the lens and really staying focused and grounded in that purpose mm -hmm. and knowing, gosh, yeah, there's all these shiny objects out there. <laughs> if they distract us from the entire purpose, that's not, not what we should be doing right now. Yeah, hundred percent agree. <clears throat> um, and, and it's interesting. I've, I've just been uh, starting to listen to this guy, John Vivaki, John Vivaki, who's um, a professor at the University of Toronto, and he's got an amazing 53-part YouTube video series called The Meaning Crisis. And uh, the, one of the videos I was listening to this morning when I took the dog out for a walk was he talks about, um, you know, what, why, why are humans easily distracted? And I think if you're a more creative, kind of open, expressive type human, which I would suggest most of us in the global purpose leaders are, because we're pretty deep into some, uh, you know, what has been relatively fringe thinking. Um, he, he points to that creativity actually being that's part of the opening door to transcendence and transformation, because if you stay too focused um, and too conservative, I guess, with a C, small C, um, the risk is you, you, you don't have the, you, you know, your, your basic system isn't challenged or questioned. So you don't, um, I guess, zigzag or riff onto new ideas. But I, but I think equally being um, a similar kind of creatively type human, everything's an amazing idea. Um, but 100%, like that lens of purpose just really hones it in. It's like, okay, well, does this align with who I am and what can I actually um, contribute? And, and if not, then it's an easy no. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, eh? Oh yeah, and I what that brings up for me is, and there's so many definitions of purpose, you know, that float around, and, and you know, we had that effort to really codify that as mm. the global leaders, which I appreciate that, and I line around that. One that's been up for me a lot though is that purpose is the natural creative expression of the universe, mm. and that speaks to a kind of a through me uh, energy, right? That that this is I'm a conduit, you know, yep. for this creative energy, and and I think. Most, a lot of us, when we think about higher purpose, that's that's the, the tone of it. Um, and yet, you know, if we, for those of us who want to label that as, you know, a feminine kind of energy or a Shakti energy, well, alongside that is, is always the masculine or the Shiva, right? Yep. That energy does need a container <laughs> to, yep. to show up and to take form and to be manifest and useful in, in the 21st century. Mm. And I think it's when you look at, I mean, it's it's recorded, you know, some of the biggest creatives in human history have often said that, you know, I, I was but a vessel who painted this picture. You know, this came to me from from outside of me. Um, and so there's there's clearly something in that, that 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 expressiveness or that that level of connectivity to your true calling, which I guess artists are in many ways the, the extreme um, uh, ideal of that. Um, you know, they they typically shun everything you know that, that um the rest of us would hold to be dear to ourselves like a you know a good house and a good car and a solid job and all the rest of it um yeah it's interesting that there's something in that i heard there was another um 
uh, this was the Jordan because I know you've been down the Jordan Peterson rabbit hole, and, and this was the the video that I posted on on the group, and where you know he talks about this idea that w- when an idea captures you and it, and you cannot shake it, like where does that come from? Like we we don't know scientifically, we don't know why we get captured by an idea, and, and I guess again that that artist is all that that extreme artistry is where where that idea has captured you so much that you just feel you have to do something with it and i think you're right i think that that deepest deepest level that that is that is what purpose is it's that calling it's that what why, why am i here what is what is the contribution that i can bring forth yeah absolutely you know and I, I think in a lot of schools you know most of my training is with the true purpose institute that was founded by tim kelly um and certainly we subscribe to, and I think a lot of purpose uh, areas do as well, it, that it's a somatic experience, right? That it's it's a felt sense. Mm-hmm. That's that's when we are connecting to, to a kind of truth. Um, and we could use a lot of words to describe that. I think it's related actually also to HeartMath's work around you know, measuring the energy field of the heart. You know, and yes. I personally love when science and spirituality and mysticism you know, can kind of align and explain things through different lenses. Um, but to me, this, yeah, there's something about higher purpose and connecting to you know, this idea of trusted source, uh, this energy beyond us uh, that, that can't be contained by the, by the mind, that mm-hmm. can't be calculated, calculated by the ego. Uh, and that requires some trust. Mm-hmm. And I know per- personally, I had virtually no training and I'm pretty new to it, actually, I would say, in the grand scheme of things in the last few years to, to a, a somatic, you know, felt experience. I mean, on the one hand, I, I have quantified that I have a lot of uh, what I would call feminine energy, uh, that I am an empath and I'm highly sensitive in various areas. And I've, I've had training and, and a lot of revelations around that. Um, on the other hand, I just wasn't exposed to that growing up. And I don't imagine most people are in America. Mm maybe in the West, maybe in the whole world. Um, these are some of the casualties, I think, of obliterating indigenous cultures through mm. colonization as we have, we both live in colonies, right? Well, yep. actually, yeah. is that true of New Zealand? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, New Zealand, um, you know, the Queen is still head of state. Um, we have a governor general appointed, essentially, I believe, by the Queen. And there is a um, a Republican movement in New Zealand that's, you know, I guess, you know, no representation or no taxation without representation, not that we give money back to the British government per se, but that movement is is growing and, and it's an interesting conversation. So, yeah, so I got a little off track, but that, that felt sense, I think, is so, so critically important. Mm. And I, I, I just use that a lot when I'm checking in. Uh, in. If I'm in a conversation, especially if I get charged around something, which is... Just, you know, a lot of my work is around, uh, you know, privilege and, and whiteness, especially in America, and, and really recognizing the history of how we got here and, and how how many of those patterns really still play out. And we can't just, like, subscribe to the convenience of, well, slavery was a thing of the past, civil rights were a thing of the past. It's, it's so much of that is still here and present for so many people. Mm. Um, and, and, and I never want to equivocate. And, and yet the reality is, you know, every human being has... Uh, an emotional spectrum. Mm. Uh, every, every human being, I think, has a right to express that in some way. So there's this question of how do we do that in the moment? How can we check in? And this idea of lo- starting to locate different um, emotions within the body 
is so incredibly useful as a, as a map. You know, it's like using the body as a map for what's happening in the moment. And one of the critical things about the purpose work you know, that I do is, is, just, is just learning to listen really carefully to when is the voice coming from trusted source, which another way I, I describe that is it's a voice of pure love. Uh, and then when is that voice coming from the rest of us, which we could call ego or, or the parts of ourselves, um, you know, and I, I, I want to be careful. You know, I don't like to think that we have that some emotions are good and some are bad. Uh, I think that's also a lot of the, the you know, conditioning or, or training that I had growing up um, and just is, is common. You know, we want to kind of avoid certain emotions and not others. Yes. Uh, and I don't want to suggest we should all just be, you know, bathing in sadness all the time. <laughs> that doesn't sound <laughs> great. Uh, and yet I've also heard it quantified that it only takes 90 seconds, you know, unless we're talking about, you know, hardcore trauma, uh, it really takes about 90 seconds for an emotion to fully process if mm -hmm. we give it time to process. And we just simply don't in most of the society. No, because we're, we're just too busy and got to move on to the next, uh, the next trigger or trauma. Mm. There's, um, I definitely think with that, you know, the indigenous learning, I mean, and it's interesting, yeah, we talk about colonization. So um, coming up on Friday, uh, no, Thursday this week, the 6th of February is Waitangi Day. And Waitangi Day is the day where the crown um, settled with the, um, basically the, the Maori iwi. So the, the Maori are the indigenous population of New Zealand and the iwi is uh, like the name for the tribe. So the collective Iwis came together and basically signed an agreement with the Crown to sort of say, okay, well, look, because yeah, there'd been some significant wars, uh, the, the New Zealand land wars. Um, and so that it's interesting that we, I guess New Zealand is, is relatively progressive in that, you know, we, we, th there has been attempts and I, I am by no means a scholar of the Waitangi tribunals and the settlements, but um, there, there at least seems to have been an attempt to, um, you know, rectify and, um take ownership for some of the past things. And, and by no means am I saying that's been completely done or fully done or even in the right way, but it, you know, there has been some attempt. Um, and, you know, New Zealand is theoretically a, a bicultural country or in that respect, um, which is yes, interesting perspective that we have on that here. Not that I, I'd say we have the, the, the solution by any means, but the other thing I think um, there's a really cool Russell brand podcast and I'll try and um, put the link into this in the notes. And he talks to a guy called Ed Stafford, who's a, British explorer and he does a lot of crazy stuff. Like I think he, he walked the length of the Amazon solo and you know, that that's a pretty good way to test your psychological fortitude. I would suggest. Mm -hmm. um, and he basically said, you know, he did almost, he almost went tropo because he, he only had himself to talk to or some, you know, little village of indigenous Amazonian people who didn't speak English. Um, but then he, the thing he really referred to was a few months after that, he was asked to go to Australia pretty last minute for for, for um, this video um, shoot. And he was talking about how he was really stressed. You know, he hadn't really recovered from the Amazon trip. I think him and his partner had just had a child as well. And he was like, well, you know, I kind of need the money, so I should probably go and do it. Anyway, so he flies to Australia, which, you know, is like a 36-hour or 24-hour trip from the UK. He gets um, off in Sydney or wherever and gets on another flight to go to the middle of the outback. And he said he's, you know, sitting there in this outback airport and he's really stressed and he's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere. No one knows where I am. You know, this guy could be an axe murderer. This could be it. You know, da, 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 da. Anyway, so this um, Aboriginal elder uh, guy comes and picks him up in his, in his pickup truck and um, doesn't say anything to him, just grabs his bags, puts them in the back of the truck, 
and they're driving along and Ed's going, okay, like this is really scary. You know, what is going on here? This guy's not speaking to me. And after a few more minutes, the uh, Aboriginal elder just turned around to him and just said, mate, would you shut up? And Ed looked at him and said, what do you mean? I haven't said anything. And he said, no, I can hear it. It's like static coming out of your head. <laughs> and <laughs> over the course of his time with this uh, tribe, what, what, they, what they were basically saying is, you know, th- this is where, you know, essentially you white fellas have gone wrong is that in, in the Aboriginal, you know, uh, I guess physiology, they work 90% um, or maybe 90, I don't know, say 93% working in their gut. So in their soul, like what feels like the right mm. thing to do. And then he said, we, we probably put 5% through our heart. Like, does it feel like it's coming from love? And then we'll put the remaining 3%, if that's right, um, through the logic. Whereas he said, you guys are the opposite. It's like, you're probably 98% or 97% logic, 2% heart and 1% soul. And he said, that's what you need. That's what you guys basically need to figure out. And that really hit home for me because I think most of us in most businesses in most of our lives are making rational decisions. That's, that's the basis, you know, post enlightenment modern world is, is it rational? And, and I, I think we've lost any and all connection apart from small pockets of us in the West to the, to these deeper ideas. That's powerful. Yeah. I mean, even the way a lot of us approach purpose is this really rational kind of like logical approach. Yes. Here's my, <laughs> here's my 12 step program to find your purpose. Right. <laughs> and, and maybe that's how we have to meet the West, the Western mindset, right. To, to try to back. I mean, it's, that's been my journey, right. Kind of backing mm. into a deeper felt sense and somatic work and things. Um, but yeah, that's, that's powerful. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, um, I think the people that are doing well in the in the world of purpose and, and training and coaching and consulting are the ones who are approaching it from the rational angle. And I think there's a lesson probably for, you know, and I think it's it's for us to try and help people go deeper on that journey. But I think from my own experience, and, I, and I, I'd be keen to hear yours, Andy, is I kind of find it's, it's like a rabbit hole or a wormhole. Once you, once you lift the lid on purpose and you connect to it for the first time, you just go further and further down the rabbit hole. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what your, I'd be really interested, I guess two questions really, I'd be, be keen to know like what was the defining moment when, you know, you kind of like, okay, this isn't working for me in terms of this you know, corporate driven world. Um, and so what was that moment? And then what was your first glimpse into purpose? Yeah. So, you know, I, t- I talked a little bit about my, my longest uh, entrepreneurial experience uh, with my agency. Um, I wonder if, I wonder if there was a, a specific moment, there were several moments <laughs> it's, it kind of turned into a cascade and then I suppose that all led to a, a moment, a real wake up call of saying, okay, this is, this is not working. I, I, you know, this is not, this is going to get worse before it gets better. And so uh, that led to a whole series of decisions about how to downsize and how to, you know, really reconcile a lot of the uh, things that, that, that were problematic and really not allowing us to be of service. Um, and, you know, actually, one where, one place that really showed up for me was uh, romantically, you know, the way I was letting a lot of that pain and grief uh, pollute my romantic relationships at the time and not having firm boundaries there and maybe even using that as an excuse for not showing up a certain way in, in romance. Uh, and that really actually was 
probably the the big thing almost exactly five years ago. I think it was the day after Valentine's Day. It's funny how that day can be a catalyst. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I just had a breakup and really looked at myself in the mirror and just didn't like what I saw. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm jealous. And I, you know, just sort of just a lot of the, the things that didn't feel like me. I felt like, mm. yeah, like I, I was being, I don't know, driven by, by some force that wasn't, wasn't really a natural part of me. And, you know, I want to be a little careful with that language because I don't, one thing I love about true purpose uh, is that we, we celebrate the ego as a natural part of the human expression and, and indeed, and indeed a, a necessary one. You know, if we look at ego as simply, you know, the part of us that individuates, right? The part mm. that says, I, I, I am me, the part that, uh, the parts, I suppose, of, of the psyche that get things done, right? mm. <laughs> You know, it isn't necessarily connected to oneness and source and all that uh, so much as, oh, well, first and foremost, I need to uh, protect the, my physical being. Uh, and then se second, something I think about a lot is I think the second prerogative of, of the average ego is to protect my worldview, right? Yes. Protect the, the way I've come to understand and contextualize the world I live in. And that I think about a lot because I think that leads to a, a huge amount of conflict once we scale that up, you know, because people really d dig their heels in, right. To protect that worldview. And if we challenge it, uh, and this is, I've come to think of the U S as actually one of the great PR experiments of human history. Uh, <laughs> and, and as I've spent years unraveling the history of colonization and things here, uh, that's, it feels like a lot of what we're up against, you know, here and a, a lot of places in the world where we, just don't really want to peel back all those things because mm. that's such stark contrast to to what a lot of us have, have learned and been conditioned into. So uh, to answer your other question, so for me, well, there's a few steps I'll skip. Uh, maybe we'll come back to you for the sake of time. But there was a moment I decided to go into coach training. I had just... Uh, wrapped up a couple of big projects, sold my company. I really didn't know what was next. I was super burned out. Uh, Tim Kelly actually was in Chicago doing a, an event with Conscious Capitalism. And we were chatting and then it turned out just a lot of synchronicity, which mm. we view as one of the uh, measuring sticks of purpose. <laughs> it's like if, you're, if things are showing up synchronistically, which might seem like coincidence or ac accidental, but the, the reality is the, the more we that a person connects with trusted source and, and uses that for guidance, the more of that synchronicity tends to show up. So, you know, you, you tell me if that's accidental or not. So that there was a coach, there was a coach training starting just, I think a couple weeks later, I jumped in, I really went all in with that. And again, that, that was the first time, let's say that was the first time I had formal dialogues with my trusted source. Mm. Um, I've also discovered along the way that I had certainly received messages from trusted source before the, the most notable is that feel real. My startup is really, uh, the current iteration of the last 12 years since I had a dream where I've, I've received the most clear vision I've ever seen. Uh, and of course, any, I think any dream work on the one hand, or we could argue that's the most direct, access to the subconscious we have. On the other hand, uh, I think it's all a matter of translation mm -hmm. <laughs> the minute we're, we're in the conscious world. 
But I did wake up in 2007 and wrote out, grabbed seven pieces of paper and wrote out this whole thing. And the, the thing that's remained the most consistent is reorganizing the internet into um, intimate real-time dialogue spaces and, cir and circles. And again, going back to that synchronicity, I'm not the only one. I mean, a lot of people over the last several years or decade have, have you know, been working on this and, and experimenting with circling practices, developing formal schools. The technology has really caught up uh, in terms of using video for that. So there's something, I think there's a huge culmination there and it, and it just seems like it couldn't happen any faster the way the internet's evolved, the way social media has evolved. Mm. Um, so I know I'm branching off a little bit. That Going back to your question, that formal connection with trusted source, um, and there's a specific journaling, kind of two-way journaling practice that we use called active imagination journaling, that just, that flowed so easily for me. It mm. was, it was I've, I think I have hundreds of pages of journaling um, over the years, certainly. Uh, and, and really, yes, yes, learning purpose statements is wonderful and they're helpful to anchor. And they're, especially if you have a, a group or an organization, the words are, I think, even more important because we all need to anchor around the same idea. It's, it's most important to anchor around the same shared meaning. And that's true of values as well. Um, but, but it's hard to do that unless we have shared language. Um, but the, the deeper thing is really this connection. To, and it's just like you were saying about the, the Aborigines, I think, you know, mm. this, where they seem to start culturally. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of where, where I'm, I, I and many others are digging deeper into. Mm. But I think, I think it's very common that the thing, the thing stopping most people connecting to their purpose is that ego. It's that, you know, the world as I think, feel, see, hear it to be true looks like X. And you're telling me that it might look like Y. And, I'd, and and I think that's also where, where you know in, in I guess the U.S. election that is kind of becoming up is the perfect example of of multiple egos split that into two ego camps where neither one wants to admit that the other one might have something of value, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think that is the on, on the individual purpose context that 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 is the big challenge, and I think I was really lucky in that I had. Um, like a, a two significant events that kind of made me question myself. And I think it's interesting that you had that traumatic event. And I know um, we're early on in the podcast series, but talking to Catherine last week, you know, she had a, a relatively traumatic event. And it's, it seems it's interesting that as humans, we need that, that trauma um, to spark the, the consciousness or to get us to think and, 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 and think maybe, well, am I being complicit in my own demise here with my own actions and to take control of that ego? Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think that's why people don't do it, because it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and it, it, I would I'd say it's hard for any anybody to go against their conditioning mm. uh, in any way. And then, you know, one of the ways I, I think about privilege and mar marginalization is well, how much energy does it take to move through the world? Mm. So, you know, I, I pretty much won the privilege lottery as a straight white man, you know, middle middle class coming from an educated, stable family in America, um, you know, and it comparatively takes me a lot less energy to walk out of my door and move mm. through the world yep. than a lot of other people. So that has given me a lot of surplus energy to do a deep exploration of purpose. Mm. And now, I, I, you know, I, I pick up that as a, as a responsibility to figure out 
okay, how can I leverage all that surplus energy to, you know, to do this? So a lot of what, certainly that applies to purpose work, and, but a lot of feel real probably I think even goes beyond that because a lot of that's around how do we share stories? You know, how do we create spaces where we can, we can actually share more vulnerable stories together? And I think at the core of that is seeing each other as full human beings. Mm. That's I love that. And I, I'd, not, I'd never considered that, that energy piece but that i think that makes it feel it makes it feel real so there you go um yeah like you say if you if you are a very certain uh background and, and type then the, the the world flows easier for you there's less hurdles for you to go and do stuff that's a really i think that just encapsulates it in a really easy to grasp way um yeah that's super cool well, and by the way, every, I, I have a drinking game going. Every time you say "feel real," I'm going to take a shot <laughs> of, of kombucha, of course. Oh, uh, I was say, this, this could go downhill really quickly, <laughs> <laughs> or it could be the best podcast anyone's ever listened to. Tim and Andy get drunk on <laughs> going in pursuit of purpose. I wonder if yeah. anybody's thought of that. <laughs> well, maybe maybe that could be the end of season finale. We'll, we'll get as many of the global purpose leaders on a podcast, and every time someone says purpose or meaning <laughs> or, or ego, we'll. <laughs> <laughs> like we, we well, it could be it could be close to some sort of shamanic induced uh experience for us to connect to the next level <laughs> there you go <laughs> expand our consciousness well, what you just said reminds me of one of our colleagues you know gabriel grant um and i i love i love looking at motivation i think if, if we're gonna try to do change really at any level or especially at a broad level we really need to understand whatever we can about motivation and a lot of his research is in the sustainability space. And basically there's an instinct for a lot of people to use guilt and shame uh, as motivational techniques. Yes. And we see this all over the place and it's, I, you know, my bias is that, you know, once somebody sort of wakes up, right. There's um, this term, you know, being woke, right. Mm. Uh, that, you know, is used, uh, probably misused in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think, well, what I mean by that is if we're grabbing onto the identity, like, you know, I am woke or I am an ally or whatnot, there's a danger there of focusing more on the identity than, mm. than the deeper work and, and staying in it. Um, but, you know, in terms of motivation, I mean, again, like that relates directly to purpose, right? This idea of a higher purpose coming from source, coming from soul, that's an intrinsic motivator mm. that you don't need anything in the, in the world actually to back that up. No, you're getting it from something much more powerful. <laughs> yes. Know? Rather than your manager prodding you in the back saying, could you please get that spreadsheet done by four o'clock today? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> for no, for no, this, no seeming reason. <laughs> right. And most of those are really fear-based motivational uh, yeah. ideas, right? Yeah. If, if you don't do this job, you will get fired. You can't yeah. pay your rent, can't feed your family. That's fear. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And I think, um, you know, that the sort of the fear-based world, uh, when you look more broadly at the, you know, and, and interesting, this actually loops back to when you were talking about your startup and, you know, there was a need. And, and I think there's two parts to this, you know, one, when you look look at sort of Maslow's hierarchy, okay, what what are the real needs that a human has? And you know, is um, I'm trying to look for something around here in my office. Uh, I can't see anything that's too unnecessary. Um, I, actually, my daughter has like five bags from the same manufacturer whose name I shan't mention because they get more than enough activity from the children at my daughter's school. Um, 
you know, does my daughter need another school bag or another bag for her, her swimming gear? Probably not. But, you know, the marketing world will inform us and tell us that she does. Um, you know, so what, what is that real need? Um, and then allied to that, I think, yeah, the modern world keeps you in that state of fear. I think you, 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 um, you know, spoke about it so well there. It's like, you know, you, you, if you don't do this meaningless task, then I'm going to probably, you know, fire you, which means you won't pay your rent, et cetera, et cetera. But then on top of that, the wider societal, um, fear-based, uh, state that we're in where it's like, well, no, you should live in this type of house. You should, you know, have that type of job. You need to earn this type of money. You should go here on holiday. There are, there are all these, um, yeah, kind of societal pressures that inform the needs that you should have, um, but actually they're not fulfilling you in any in any way because nine nine out of ten of them are, are completely meaningless. Um, and I wonder if that was something that you felt in your business, where you know the need that you were fulfilling, clearly it wasn't a need that perhaps you thought was a true need. Mm. Uh, you mean in, for me personally or sort of what yeah. we were doing for yeah. the market? For you personally, I mean, the, the market, there's always a need in inverted commas in the market by all accounts. Um, but, you know, is it a true human need? You know, what's the contribution of fulfilling that need? Or is it just, well, these people, they say they want it, but, you know, they don't actually know what they want. But, hey, they want to pay us some money for it. So we'll ship it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I think you know, a lot of a lot of companies are really living under the shadow of their leadership, and mm. I I really mean the the deeper sort of psychological definition of shadow, which is this mm. typically the the parts of our subconscious that we really would rather uh, go away, <laughs> would rather not not look at, and, yep. uh, not and I I guess I feel like it's always important for me to offer a caveat that I'm not immune to any of this. I'm yes. still a human being. <laughs> right? um, and I, you know, that's a, that's a big, a, a huge part of why I like the training that I went through, particularly with the true purpose Institute is, is it's like, I had to go through all of it and I'm still going through it. There is no done. Yes. So um, there's no, there's no done on the, I, I consider the subconscious to be infinite. Uh, and, and yes, there are, you know, very wonder, very good uh, techniques that we can use to to unravel some of that, and to um, actually, I prefer to think about pouring love on it, you know? mm. uh, and and to to heal that. But it's like, you know, it's a good metaphor because, like, you know, just like a wound, well, there's still going to be a scar. It's yep. still going to be tender, mm. right? And and so I think I, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that I would. You know, whatever that maybe that definition of enlightenment is, you know, that they've somehow just really released all of that. Um, I don't know if that's possible in this life. I don't even know if that's the point of it. Mm. I think it's something about being in it and uh, learning from it and, you know, like offering it uh, love and attention on an ongoing basis. And, you know, there's always there's the things we grew up with and the whether that was wounding events or trauma that help shape us uh, that, you know, I, I subscribe to the idea that, you know, those were specifically part of our training program mm. to be, to be more purposeful later in life. Um, and, you know, I think there's a difference here again, just since we've introduced a lot of co context around marginalization where there's, there's a difference between, you know, my soul's kind of signed up for this soul training program in this life and looking at, you know, 
systemic oppression and systemic marginalization mm. that is yet another layer that a lot of people are are uh, living with and living under. Mm. That is all of that can suppress a, a soul-driven purpose. And yes. I mean, it's it's hard to um, go and do purpose work if you're struggling to put food on the table for your kids. It's pretty, you know, again, I, I kind of go back to Maslow's hierarchy. It's like if you're, if you're struggling to, to make rent and feed your family, you know, you, you're kind of in that survival loop, which is, a, I guess, that very um, visceral. It, the, there is an element of purpose there, I guess. But I think that's, that's the trap in the bigger world is when you have got that freedom to go deeper is that you kind of think that your purpose is still providing that basic survival mechanism to your family. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I agree that there's – and it's interesting because um, I, I haven't delved into uh, taking psychedelics, but I'm intrigued by the concept and, and where that can take people. And you look at, you know, the, the criminalization of LSD and what have you in the 60s, but the kind of promotion of alcohol and the promotion of tobacco and, you know, um, other products where you kind of go, well, yeah, is is there a wider? I mean, if everyone was uh, doing purpose work and and had taken uh, psychedelics and had, you know, was free from the shackles of of um, systemic abuse, the world would look quite different. I'd hazard to guess, and it probably would mean that a lot of organisations that we currently have in the world would cease to exist, and maybe that's a part of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think to me the key word there is enough. Um, you know, it's it's. On a personal level, I'm going through this in the last few years. Uh, I guess I never lined it up time-wise, but right in this moment, I'm realizing that I was also in that time when things were really tough for me. I was also just accumulating a lot of stuff. Mm. And, and not, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like a shopper. <clears throat> my, uh, <laughs> my numbing agent is more related to food than shopping. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we all kind of have to pick one. Yep. But uh you know, but there's lots of ways to accumulate stuff. And, and so I've spent the last few years untangling that, you know, and, and just systematically kind of going through things and just clearing more and more and more and more space for myself. I actually just spent this last weekend with my folks doing the same thing to get them, you know, ready for their next phase in life. And I think it, it is just so present for me. It's really alive for me right now. Like, well, what is enough? Mm. You know, and, and I think generationally, there's a huge shift happening right now where, you know, the boomers, you know, were raised by people who went through the depression in America mm. and, 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 and elsewhere where there really was this hardcore scarcity. You know, there really was a lot of conscious energy around like accumulation and, and holding on to things. Right. And, and I think that is shifting. If we look, mm. if we, I don't like to generalize too much, but if we look at a trend, generally millennials care, uh, and, and subsequent generations care less about hoarding stuff mm. and more about experience experiences. Yes. Yeah. You, you could see how that would, that kind of literally that baby boom is, would be a natural reaction to that period of, you know, depravity and, um, or deprivation rather and, and lack. Um, but, but on that, I mean, I, I feel, um, I was interviewed by a good mate of mine, Stephen Moe, on his podcast many years ago, well, a couple of years ago now. And he, one of the questions he asked me was, you know, would you, what would you go back and tell your 20 year old self um, to do differently? And I sort of said, well, I wouldn't tell them to do anything differently because if I hadn't done what I did, I wouldn't be where I was today. And 
going back to some of the comments we've we've been talking about, you know, that trauma that you that um, you need to integrate the shadow work. I mean, I guess you know the Buddhist philosophy and, and others would say that well, life is always going to be suffering. But do you feel that as humans we need to have some you know some element of trauma in our early life for us to then have to go and do the work on as an adult to get that full integration? Or do do you perceive or do you know of any cultures where um, you know they they minimize the trauma and you, you kind of have an integrated human from an early stage? Because I'm I'm curious as to, as to know what that would look like for us as a species yeah well one thing i'll share is a message that i downloaded from my trusted source a part of my message and that's that is that all power comes from pain mm. and you know i don't i don't interpret that to mean we just need to stew in our pain and and sort of just always be in that uh, but it does mean that we can look at pain differently that mm. we you know, can, if we do face it head on, uh, which I'm again, just going to caution that that's much more challenging for people who have mm. suffered deep acute trauma mm. than it is, uh, uh, if you haven't. Um, and yet there is an element of facing that pain, uh, head on that, that then healing that, that then translates that into a kind of personal power and fortitude. Mm. Uh, that I think, you know, does drive us. Uh, it does drive us to be our best. Um, <laughs> I'm also reminded in this moment of, uh, I was watching something recently just about childbirth and, and their take was uh, that, you know, you know, you know, we've, we've devised some means to reduce the pain and suffering of childbirth. Um, but evolution didn't seem to care much about that. Mm. You know, it's, it's actually going back to that word enough, uh, unfortunately, especially for women, that, that, you know, it seems like one way to think about it is like evolution said, you know what, it's good enough. We're, we're getting mm. babies through, you know, even with a pretty high mortality rate, an insane amount of pain and also mortality for women. It was like, Hey, we're, we're making enough babies to keep the species going. Mm. And, and so we've devised, you know, means to, to reduce that pain. So I, I you know, so I, by looking through that lens, it's like, gee, what does it take to, to enter the, the mortal sphere, right? Like mm. that is a, that's, that in mm. of itself could be a traumatic event. It's probably as much as I, I always, I'm trying, always trying to balance like the celebrating, you know, a lot of the advances and especially technology mm. and medicine in the West but also wondering what we've left behind, mm. right? So, so I want to say, you know, gee, we, we've, we've had these advances, we've reduced infant mortality, which again, even there, you look at uh, different populations of people and, and the, the, you know, that's not all true across the board. Mm. Um, but this idea of, I'm just curious in this moment of, okay, well, you know, a lot of the Western ideas around childbirth s s also seem, you know, traumatic. And I know there are a lot of ceremonies uh, and processes and indigenous rituals that really have a pretty wildly different view of that whole ritual mm. of coming into this life. I think, yeah, th there's a couple of things definitely there. I think uh, the R word that you use at the end there, ritual, I think that's something that is massively lacking in general. Like, and, and I think um, 
yeah, I, tend, I think my general thought is we're, we're trying to make the modern life as pain-free as possible, um, everything. And, you know, I, I, I quite like watching infomercials on TV occasionally just to see what pain in my life they're now trying to eliminate. You know, it's like you struggle to carry the groceries from your car to the house. Well, you need the new garage trolley. And it's like, <laughs> do, do I, you know, do, not that that's actually, but it's like, do I really need that? Or is that just part of my, a mini part of me suffering is carrying a heavy load of fruit and vegetables out of my car into the house. Um, and so I tend to agree. I think, I think you look at a lot of uh, indigenous cultures, other ways of being, you know, and particularly for men. And this is something I, I want to pick up on a thread in a minute is, you know, the, the, um, the sort of rites of passage, the initiation ceremony, the, there is some trial that you need to undergo to, to, transform you um and uh, transcend you from being a boy into being a man and that typically involves some kind of pain or restriction or you know there's some ceremony around that and i think that's deeply deeply missing in in the western and, and by western modern culture i'm talking about your new zealand's australia's europe america so on and so forth um yeah and, and i think if you look at most major you know, spiritual religious belief systems or any belief system of, of a higher order, the, the basic principle is that there is witness to or direct um, undertaking of suffering, which would suggest that it, it's been there since forever. And it is, a, and, and I think your analogy of childbirth is like, you know, your, your journey starts in significant pain for at least one of you in that process. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's everywhere. Um, but I think we're trying to get rid of too much of the incidental pain that probably actually does help build our resilience to the bigger stuff that when it does hit you, you're just not used to having those little micro doses of pain. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love, yeah. I love bridging it into resilience. I, I uh, recently this popped back up for me, this um, research around blue zones around the, around the world. And I want to say these are, there's like five of them where mm. people a average a lifespan. Right. I think, I think about 90, maybe mm. even higher. And it's like, there's basically 10 things. Uh, mm. One of which is purpose, which one of which is purpose. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but the one, but the one that stuck out even more to me was very much what you were just saying, which was that, you know, they haven't automated away all of the labor. They don't tend to exercise like we think about it, mm. right? Like I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to get a hardcore workout, mm. which is, you know, something I brought into my life, uh, which in many ways it seems positive uh and yet it's funny like i uh you know my house has has three stories and and the kitchen's in the lower and my office is in the top so mm -hmm. i am actually spending all day long and and i've noticed i have a cat and i've actually noticed uh it's been good for both of us she actually <laughs> can jump she can jump further i could actually oh, I wow. probably i didn't actually i didn't literally measure it but i feel like i i could um and so that was their point. Like they don't go mm. to the gym and get a hardcore workout. They just don't automate away all of the labor yes. and movement that you know, yeah. we tend to want to look at is you know, like, I know some people, you know, when they go to the grocery store, they park all the way at the opposite end of the lot, mm. you know, but there's this conditioning of like, I got to get the best spot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I run outside the door. Yeah. And maybe if I ring them, they'll deliver it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I need to go. I'll I'll go and research that and put that in the notes. But um, yeah, I just think some of that basic, just human and this connectivity. There's typically, you know, working with other people, doing something. And I guess I guess there's why there's purpose there, like doing doing something, making something, doing something that is providing for you, your family, maybe your community. Um, 
there is more there's meaning in that as well so that that would in, instinctively make some sense hmm. so the, the other one i want to i want to um drop into here and this one's really um applicable for me uh, and i think you've touched on it and i also think in general that the sense that i get from the other males in the global purpose leadership is that we are generally i would suggest more empathetic more empathetic higher eq um the feminine side is i would suggest um easier for us to tap into and yeah really curious and and in my personal life i live uh, in my house here i have my daughter my wife and my mother-in-law and my only other living relative within close proximity is my mother so i'm in a very estrogen <laughs> loaded environment and i am a male who can connect to the to his feminine part relatively easily where does what it, i guess like where does masculinity fit in and and how does how do we how do we i guess make use of the masculine within us but also the wider more masculine side of humanity because i feel like the whole male you like you and i you know like you say we're privileged white males like that that's that's kind of um i'm not saying we're under attack but it's you know we, we've not we're not exactly up there held up there as um uh society's greatest right now so how, how do we be strong male figures in a purposeful world Ooh, there's a lot of time to <laughs> sorry that just, just dropping, you, <laughs> dropping that one on you how much time do we have <laughs> uh yeah I, I i agree with your maybe casual observation that that those of us who are purpose coaches and guides um who are men who, are, who identify as, as male uh yes tend to be more sensitive tend to be more attuned to those things um you know so part of that i think is, is some sort of natural disposition um i but i think it is something that everybody has access to and i for the last year and a half i've been involved with the mankind project mm -hmm. Uh, and I, that to me, that was my exploration. You mentioned ritual earlier and, and the rite of passage, right? From boyhood into manhood. That's a lot of what the whole premise of that organization is about, which, you know, something like 60,000 men have gone through it in the last oh, wow. um, 35 years. So that's an extraordinary gesture <laughs> towards, towards sort mm. of writing that. Um, you know, part of the challenge as I see it is that you know, we have uh, disembarked from from the feminine across everything. You know, it, it's not, I don't think it's true to say that a lot of women are totally connected to their feminine energy mm -hmm. for lots of reasons. You know, one is that just as a, and again, I'm speaking generally, but let's say specifically to America in my experience of it, but that applies probably generally to a lot of uh, Western culture, that we are disconnected from so many things. We are disconnected from the earth, uh, especially those of us in urban populations. Mm. Uh, although that's not necessarily like a reason not to be in urban populations, but it's true. Uh, we're disconnected from our food supply, right? We're uh, disconnected from just all of these things we mm. take for granted that, you know, is I'm sort of slowly re-engaging with a little, little by little, like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll grow a basil plant or I'll start composting or, you know, it's, it's really mm. kind of baby step versus, you know, I do know people who are out with full on isolated regenerative culture experiments. <laughs> it's yep. like, great. We're going to need that. We're going to need that roadmap, you know, when we, when we hopefully kind of reorient. So I think a lot of that's that, that feminine energy, 
which I, I do associate with the intuitive. And, you know, I think especially, and this is actually where I appreciate some of Jordan Peterson's work. I know we were riffing on that. Mm. Um, hopefully I get this pretty right. Uh, but as I remember him saying it, you know, up until the turn of the you know 20th century, the average household in the world was making about a dollar a day. Mm. And so it's really easy and, and in some cases probably accurate to demonize the way men have grabbed control over, over societies mm. over, over many centuries. And yet it, when we really boil that down, it, it's easy to kind of demonize, I think, at scale. <laughs> That's just part of the challenge. We just wanna, yes. It's all this or all that. Uh, so, you know, generally I also talk about like, it's easier to scale fear than love, right? And so it's, uh, it's, you know, once we get into these huge categorical generalizations, mm. all these people are this, all those people are that, I think we've, we've already lost something really mm. important. So when I am, when I heard, I remember hearing Peterson say that and I was just imagining, oh, the average kind of household and kind of what they were going through. And yeah, this would have been a time when, when, when women had virtually no rights. They certainly mm. didn't have property rights. They were in many cases treated as property, which even if at, at, at the most generous, we say that that was actually an effort for men to protect them and take care of them. Mm. Um, clearly that's what a lot of the last, you know, hundred years or so has been is to say, okay, well, guess what? You know, <laughs> that's not, that's, that's not um, promoting what I always come back to my two core things, dignity mm. and agency, dignity and agency for every person. Mm. And that's a really helpful uh, pilot light, I suppose you could say, because it, it means that uh, that provides the, the circumstances or the, the conditions for somebody to have a, a, an intrinsically expressed purpose without dictating it, without just, you know, going around and saying, well, everybody should have this purpose thing. And it looks like this. Mm. You know, I don't actually think that's useful either. Uh, and we could, we could say that that's a, a masculine kind of energy. Cause if, if the definition of masculine is that it is uh, around a container, well, it's all about balance, right? So if we are over-expressing masculinity, which we could, I don't mind the the label toxic masculinity, if it's applied to a, a an overreach mm. of masculine energy, what is challenging is if somebody's suggesting that, you know, all masculinity is toxic, yes. all men are evil, mm. all, which eh, I don't even know if that's really the expression a lot of times. Uh, so there is, those of us men, and, and I've been in a lot of these situations with like Mankind Project, um, which is also embracing the virtual universe, which is really cool. Uh, you know, I, I, we generally hold, and there's others like victories of the heart. And there's a few other men's groups out there. Um, and, you know, I think most of us in it are, are really realizing like we're on the edge. We're on the edge of kind of reinventing masculinity and exploring what this even is. And it's not easy. Mm. You know, we're going into our deepest core wounding and kind mm -hmm. of unraveling these things. Um, so, you know, again, I mean, a lot of the theme here, I think is that, we stay in it, right? It's not, it's not this transaction. It's not like, Oh, I got my purpose. Uh, I got my healthy masculinity. I'm off to the races. You know? <laughs> um, now there are, I think there are shelves. If it's a climbing metaphor or, or sort of the next, you know, like base camp we get to, right? yep. it's like, okay, you know what? I, I've been doing a, a lot of my work and I'm now I'm going to really take this out into the world. I think that's healthy and important as well. Uh, that we don't, that we aren't just always kind of locking ourselves in our work. Uh, because if we don't ever express it, 
then we're also not going to really necessarily change the systems um, that are reinforcing all of these patterns mm. that many of us are conditioned into. So those of us, whether it's purpose or masculinity or any of these things, we are all really trying to reinvent these systems from the inside out. Mm. Uh, and I think to me, that's the right approach. Uh, you know, and so, oh, and I was going to say just about women and, and, and masculinity as well, you know, fast forward to kind of the late 20th century, women entering, you know, the workforce much more. And guess what? They show up and it's a boys club. Right? Mm. So of course they have to really kind of uh, steep up their, their masculine energy mm. to compete and to be in that. And so I don't think any of this is a straight line. I don't think any of it's uh, straightforward. No. And again, I think, I think it's getting into these, these intimate spaces and sharing these stories and really, really being with each other, really hearing each other. Like, that to me is the only conclusion I've drawn about how we can get through it. Mm. I think that's great. Uh, great summary. And yeah, I kind of feel my, my sort of take on it is if we can, you know, I, I guess you look at all the, again, you look at all the ancient principles. It's, it's about that balance. It's about whether it's, you know, Taoist or, you know, the yin yang or, or however you want to look at it. It's, we need both. We need masculine and feminine and yeah, there'll be some uh, males who have slightly more feminine traits and there'll be some fe uh, females who have slightly more masculine traits but my, my kind of overarching sense and, and I guess the call to men would be like, how, how can we use our, use your masculinity and the traits of that and the behaviors and attitudes of that, but for the greater good. So, you know, I think we, we need the warrior archetype. We need strong, brave people, um, which is, I guess, you know, the, the masculine archetype um, to take on big, bold challenges and, and provide um, a better future for more people um, as opposed to channeling that aggression, perhaps, or that masculinity just for their own interests. So I think, yeah, but like you say, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a, a hard road. Um, and I guess that leads us really nicely just to finish up on um, to talk a little bit about feel real and how, how do you see that playing its part in, in everything we've talked about? Well, that, that remains to be seen, you know, we're in startup mode, uh, we're, we're doing market research. We've interviewed more than 30 people to really get a clear sense of what's happening out there and where the opportunity really is to meet the market. You know, we believe in circling techniques and we know that works. And, you know, our first pilots are going to be launched around the idea of inclusive cultures and really the idea of inclusive circling. So, right. So can we, there's a strategic component, you know, how can we design a, cir a circling matrix, if you will, uh, that will, you know, uh, cross-pollinate uh, people's stories within a community or within a company. And that's going to be our experiment over the next several months. Very cool. Now, be beyond that, I will say there's a, a public, the public-facing part of Feel Real is one thing we're building that we're also excited about is a calendar of virtual gatherings, mostly virtual, some limited uh, gatherings in the Chicago area. Uh, uh, so if you are out there and you are hosting some kind of virtual gathering where people uh, come together in an intimate space and there's a facilitator and there's shared agreements and a lot of the things that we believe must go in to create that container, uh, we would love to hear about it. Please connect with us. Cool. And I'll put a link um, in the notes to the Feel Real site. Cool. Thank you very much. Well, that's pretty much 60 minutes give or take um so yeah i don't know if you any final thoughts anything else that you want to say or uh, comment on before we close up shop <laughs> uh thank you so much for having me i i 
just I love these discussions. I, I think on the one hand they're they're complex and mm -hmm. there's a rich tap tapestry to unfold. Um, and, and on the other hand, if we stay rooted in love, um, that is my guiding light. Love it. And a big thank you for being my first male guest on the, on the podcast. So, um, kudos to you. I'll, I'll think of some prize, um, I can give you for being, being my first male <laughs> contributor, um, which is interesting in itself. What an honor. I know that there's been, uh, sort of two female contributors so far. Um, and I've got the next couple are females lined up as well. I'm struggling to find men of purpose. So, uh, if there are men of purpose out there listening, let me know. I'll, I'll give you a call. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's it. So yeah, thank you so much, Andy. Um, all the best for Feel Real. Um, I'll certainly be cheering that on from the sidelines. And um, if you let me know if, how I can share and promote that, um, and obviously through GPL, we'll be learning more about it and getting it out there. But yeah, thank you so much and go well in relatively chilly Chicago compared to currently very hot Christchurch. And um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you soon. Cheers, mate. All right. Thanks a lot, Tim. Bye. And that's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening in to my podcast. As I say, I'd love to know where you are on your journey in pursuit of purpose. And if you've got any questions that you'd like me to try and answer for you or people you'd like me to interview on this podcast, please do let me know through a message or a comment. Also do connect with me on other social media platforms. You'll find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and on YouTube. For more information about me and what I offer through my business, Grow Good, you can also go find me at www dot growgood.co that's growgood.co if you want to get in contact with me my email is really easy tim at growgood.co i'd love to hear from you until next time go well and keep on pursuing your purpose